Hi, everyone. This is the David Birnbaum Connection, and I'm David Birnbaum. My guest today is Ryan Martin. Ryan is a 24-year-old who's been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, though he's no longer sure that that is actually what's going on in his head. Ryan has biked across Canada for mental health and met with people all across the country to talk about the issues around mental health and the stigmas. His experience really shaped him and his journey, and now he works for the Canadian Mental Health Association. Ryan and I talk about his experiences, the tools he uses, and the state of mental health in Canada. It's, it's a topic I think is extremely important, and I really appreciated Ryan taking the time to chat with me about it. There's a few really powerful moments where he shares experiences around self-love, men's help groups, and things like that. So it's definitely worth a listen. Hey, Ryan, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. I'm excited. So... Um, you know, I, I was introduced to you through Ben Finelli's live event for Hero- the Heroic Minds podcast, and your story resonated really strongly with me um, around, you know, kind of struggling generally and not really also being able to find exactly what is going on in your head, right? And and I think yeah. that's what resonates with a lot of people as well, because, um, you know, you had said that your your diagnosis right now is bipolar disorder, but you're not even sure that's the case. So can you tell me a bit about what that's like? And, and yeah, I'm very interested. Just in this kind of limbo that I'm in right now. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, so I was diagnosed with bipolar um, about two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and have really just been kind of addressing it as, you know, bipolar type two, which is the diagnosis for pretty much that entire time. Yeah. Um, I never really resonated well with the hypomanic states or you know the kind of like a week or you know several week long periods of like sustained mood yep um everything just changes so fast for me you know, like a daily basis type of thing so mm-hmm. i always just just like okay you know my psych my psychiatrist was like ryan you have bipolar type two um and i'm like i didn't really know enough to say well no i don't really feel that way so i just kind of went with it um, and I, I didn't have, I had, I didn't really have much success at all and still don't have much success with medications. Yeah. And so over time I started thinking, well, like, you know, maybe this isn't the right diagnosis. Like I I've tried all these medications for the past two years. I get it. It takes a long time to find the right ones, but I've seen like no progress and kind of just feeling a bit frustrated. And so I ended up seeing a new psychiatrist out of uh, Sunnybrook hospital in Toronto who is, Probably my old psychiatrist, I've only had two. My old psychiatrist was a bit more old school, I think. Yep. He was really quick to diagnose me as bipolar type two. Um, but this new one I'm seeing now for the past couple of months was kind of has a, has a more of a holistic approach to diagnosing people mm-hmm. and, and um, understands that, you know, through that holistic approach, there's a lot of things that come into play. Um, it's not just a clear-cut diagnosis, not just one line on the on the manual. I forget the the acronym, but yeah, the DSM, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's not always just one thing, right? It can be really complicated. And so we've kept that in mind. And you know, he's like, I want to meet with you, like you know, two to three, four times to just hear about everything. You know, mm-hmm. relationships, work, 
stress, anxiety, depression, suicidal situations, everything. And I really want to get to know you so that we can. That's really great to hear. And it's that's not usual from what I understand from psychiatrists. They're much more about like, you know, sit with me and I'll tell you what I think you have in a session or two. And and it's more that like psychologists or therapists are the ones you can actually talk through issues with it i it's i haven't been able to find a psychiatrist that seems willing to um go more in depth yeah it's i mean it's hard i got lucky i mean there's definitely good ones out there there's a lot of ones that are um a bit more old school i, I call it but he said look like i want to gather as many facts as possible and then from there we'll be able to have a direction on where to go and like i i don't i'm not necessarily going to give you a diagnosis but hopefully we can get more answers. And so I met him for like those first couple of sessions. And, and by the end, he's like, you know what? I was like, there's a lot of signs pointing to the fact that you probably don't have bipolar type two. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I don't necessarily know what you have. It kind of seems to me that it's more of just like a, a general mood disorder, you know? Um, it's just, you, you, it's like a temperamental mood disorder. He called it. And I just don't have a very, uh, strong ability to manage my moods and this can lead me to you know depression anxiety suicidal situations like irritability all these kind of things and so that's kind of where i'm at now and i i mean i still say i'm like yeah i have bipolar type 2 and whatever but i'm at the point now it's like i don't even care what i have i just want to be healthy and so that that's what i focus on the most is like let's let's focus on what i can do to be healthy yeah, and I think that's I appreciate you sharing and I think that's an important mindset to have. I'm I was very much obsessed for a little bit about what is my label. I want to know what tell me what's wrong so then I have some guidance on how to fix it rather yeah. than like, you know, acknowledging that there's a, a range of what could be wrong and there's a range of tools that all apply in some different aspects to each person anyways. Yeah. And so Yeah. I, oh, go ahead. But it's, I think it's important to do that. Like it's like you know, it's, it's, I don't think we should just ignore a diagnosis, like, because, you know, from a diagnosis, you can start getting direction on medications, you know, types of therapy, you know, if you have BPD, then you know, it's probably a good idea to do uh, dialectical behavioral therapy, or if you have anxiety, maybe CBT is better. Um, but it's not like the end all be all like, it, like, I think there's, when we talk about tools, like there's tools you know, coping tools and strategies that work for every type of mental illness. It's like, mm. regardless of the diagnosis, like you still have to put in the effort to find those tools that are going to help help you while what, still doing the things that are meant for your illness. What are the tools that help you the most? And uh, actually, what was the first tool you started to use? Um, I, th- I think the first tool is like talk therapy. Mm. I was like really dealing with things a lot on my own and finally I was in university and I was like okay I gotta do something about this and I uh called the school and I was like I need to talk to someone and they're like well what's going on and I literally couldn't even say that I was struggling mentally I was like I just I'm just I'm not doing well like I need to struggle I need to talk to someone and they're like okay well mm. how about a social worker and I was like okay great and I went to the social worker and I and I just like literally like dumped out everything that was on my mind that I've been hurting me for the past you know, few years. Yeah. And, uh, and that was, I mean, that's just, 
for me, I just call that like talking about how you're feeling. Like that's mm. probably for me, the most important tool ever. It's be like, yeah. you know, getting, getting, getting your problem out of your body, out of your system so other people can help you and you get support and you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's, what about you? What was the first thing that you picked up? I think it would have been taught. I was going to say journaling, but I, I realized that I saw counseling uh, a couple times before I ever journaled as well. Um, and it's interesting because for me, I also like had a very, I was stressed out about going to see counseling the first time, right? Like very much so. And it, it seems like it's a high hurdle for a lot of people, but it's also the lowest, lower than facing it to yourself. I feel like it was easier for me to tell someone than to just be able to sit and admit it to myself. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, talk therapy was. And is still, for me, I think, one of the most useful tools. I'm trying to figure out how to balance it in with a lot of other ones now. Um, But there's something just so freeing about just talking without a filter to someone who, like, doesn't, who's committed to not judging you, to committed to being there solely for you. Like, I'm just selfish right now for an hour. It's all about me. And that's fantastic, right? And, you know, I've learned that it doesn't have to be with a therapist. Like, if mm-hmm. you can find someone you trust, like, you know, even literally on Monday, like two days ago, I uh, was with my girlfriend and we were getting groceries and I was just feeling really worked up and stressed and have a lot of things going on this week and was tired from the weekend. And and so we got into the car and I was starting to feel really, like, irritable and snappy. And I realized that what was happening. I was like, okay, like, I'm not, I'm not feeling well. Okay. So what can I do? You know, what tool can I use? So as we were walking back to the car, my girlfriend was in the car before me. I put the groceries in the back, pulled the driver's side door open, I sit down and I take a breath. I'm like, I need to vent. Yeah. And she's like, okay, go. And I literally just talked and so fast and yeah. got angry and my voice, you know, I got loud and quiet and um, for like probably 15 minutes and I just got it all out and she doesn't say anything. Yeah, and she just kind of shakes her head and nods, and I know she won't judge me because of the relationship we've kind of built around, you know, my mental health. Yeah, but I could do the same with my mom. I could, I've done it with my sister, done it with my dad. Like it's, it's nice when you can just vent, and it's like, yeah, it's it's so simple. It's like, hey man, like, could, like I I would do that with my friends. Like, hey, can I just call you? Like, I need to just get some stuff off my chest, just barf it out, get it yeah. out. And, it's not like anything's solved, but you just feel better, right? It's just a nice feeling. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because, you know, I used to feel, I feel like I used to be able to do that. I used to do that out of necessity and I didn't really judge myself because I didn't know there was anything, quote, wrong with it, right? Like it was just, I my brain was so over capacity all the time that it just yeah. happened. And and my yeah. fr- some of my friends kind of just got used to it. But now I yeah. have... I think I have more of a stigma around it now than I used to, um, which is unfortunate. But it it is still interesting to try and, you know, have I feel like a lot of people struggle to have that dynamic with friends now as well. Right. That I mean, basically, you can kind of some people joke that therapy is like like a friendship prostitute. Right. Like. (laughs) <laughs> really like some people have like you know a bunch of people they can just talk to about all of their problems and and that kind yeah. of stuff um you know i don't think it's necessarily that simple um but it's great to be able to do that i think um when i was in high school i used to sit in the 
car with one of my friends and I would just rant for hours because I was so anxious that I, she would literally just kind of like let me ramble on uncontrollably for hours. Yeah. It and, feels good. Yeah. It, it, it's literally just, it needs, because the, the less it's in my head, like the more I get it out, the less it's in there. It just like, I need, that's why journaling became a very useful tool for me as well. Cause it's just mm -hmm. a way to let out the pressure, let out the pressure of whatever's building up in, in my, in my head. See, the thing about talking about how you're feeling and venting and stuff is like, that is great. But if I'm socially anxious for a party and I'm, you know, kind of freaking out before you know, we're walking there or whatever. And I tell my girlfriend and I, and I vent and I get it all out. Like getting it all out takes away like the kind of sharpness of the feeling yeah. for me, but you still have to go and you still have to like do it. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that is what I've realized. Like you still have to have other tools to use mm -hmm. when you get there. It's like, okay, I vented that helps, but it's yeah. not going to be the only thing. So when I get there, what else can I do? And then, you know, I have all these little strategies for social anxiety, like, you know, forcing myself to speak slowly, you know, mm -hmm. calming me down, you know, doing some slow breathing in between conversations and maybe uh, going to the washroom and putting cold water on my face or going back out to my girlfriend and asking if we get some fresh air or, or leaving if I have to or doing mm -hmm. some, you know, mindfulness practices, like just kind of observe the room and, 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 you know, those are the tools that can get me through in the moment. Yeah. But the, the venting is like kind of like a nice way to get things started. And then mm. now that I'm, you know, I, now that I can actually manage the situation, what are my tools to, to handle it? So, yeah. Yeah, that's really good. How do you find when you're in those social situations, how do you find your ability to balance between being present and being aware of your own environment? Cause like, that's what I struggle with now. I need to always be watching myself so I don't get triggered and that kind of stuff. And I'm, I have a hard time balancing that with being fully present and enjoying what I'm doing because I'm always yeah. kind of watching myself. So it's like balancing like how you're feeling with like what's actually happening in front of you type of thing. Yeah. Um, I think that's like, a, you know, it, it's a tough balance. Like some nights I feel totally fine, you know? Yeah. And I don't need to, I don't need to be mindful. Like, if I think about being mindful, I will just kind of like maintain how I'm feeling, but I feel fine. But when there's nights when I'm feeling really bad, then like, yeah, I'm working really hard to like manage my, manage my anxiety or whatever I'm feeling, or I could be like really depressed or really irritable or really worked up in those situations. But you know, when I'm not feeling well in a social situation, I, I really try to take the pressure off myself from like having to perform and engage like I normally would if I was feeling a little bit better. So it's like, okay, you know, I'm going to take one second to think about how I'm feeling. Well, I'm really down and I'm really anxious and I'm not feeling well. Okay. First things first, let's take expectation that I need to be the most sociable person here off my shoulders. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about that. So I'm not going to be the most social person today. So what can I can, what can I do? Well, let's take care of myself. Let's go to the washroom, kind of do some slow breathing, relax, come back, have a glass of water. Let's like just observe the room. Like now that I don't have any pressure on myself to talk yeah. like everyone else's, Let's just look around and enjoy the conversation and don't think that I actually have to lead the conversation or even say anything at all. Like these people are here and there's a good chance they love me. And if I'm with strangers, then who, who cares anyways? And so let's just kind of go with the flow and take all that pressure off of me. And so when, when I've like learned to do that, and it's, it's hard to keep, to, 
it's hard to do that because you know even this weekend I was with a bunch of friends and I wasn't feeling well one night and all my buddies are joking around and chirping and such and I just couldn't keep up with it because I was so in my head yeah but I tried my best to just take a second and be like Ryan you're not feeling well like just take the pressure off yourself take all yeah. the expectations off and just enjoy it because you're gonna bounce back soon enough maybe it's tomorrow maybe the next day but just don't put pressure on yourself because you know you can do this like you are capable of doing this but right now your body is like hurting i guess you gotta listen to that focus on that and and again like the, the, the expectations that's such a big part of mental health that i kind of struggle with is like you know I, like if i'm not feeling well like oh, i won't be able to do this i can't do this i can't have a conversation like i keep thinking about all these things and putting these judgments and expectations on myself but like really helpful for me and it's hard to do but to, to just catch those thoughts catch those judgments and expectations or put on yourself and be like wait a minute i'm not feeling well i'm mm. not going to perform and act the way that i normally do so like let's just take a step back and relax and just like you know i coast like i'll get through this let's use my tools let's talk to people let's vent you know eventually i'll get back to a point where i'm totally you know much more comfortable and and uh, not not so in my head about this whole situation but easier yeah. said than done yeah definitely and i in, think when you look back on hindsight yeah i think expectations is a huge one of the biggest things when it comes to mental health right it's like this idea that i should be a certain way in this situation in my life generally and i'm not and that's miserable right um and that kind yeah. of thing do you you know either for either in your own case or generally do you I, I believe that like society generally seems to be kind of perpetuating this. And that's why like you should be every guy should be the bro in the room who's chatting up and chirping and all this time. Right. And so if you're not, there's a problem. Right. It seems like that there's these narratives that are quite prevalent in society. Have you like reflected on where these expectations come from? I yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good point. Like, I feel that a lot, you know, like. I should be acting a certain way. I should be doing this. I should be saying that. I should be saying funnier jokes, going to these parties, having drinks during the week with friends and working out more and like all this kind of stuff. And yeah, it's like really overwhelming thinking about all these expectations you're putting on yourself, you know, whether you're male, female, young, old, you know, wherever in life, you have these expectations. And, and I've just recently like found this new kind of strategy <clears throat> that really helps me with this and like always brings me back down to being present and mindful and, and kind of non-judgmental and it's, uh, it's self-love mm. and, you know, for a long time, I'm, I, you hear about self-love, you know, like a lot of like female advocates on Instagram, like do like body love and self-love and all that kind of stuff. And I, it just never like resonated with me. And honestly, I kind of thought it was a bit like fluffy. I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I don't know if that really applies to me. Like, you know, and so, I'm, I'm part of this like men's group that gets together and we talk about life and stuff once a week and it's called every man. It's, it's really great. And, um, one of the guys was brought up this book called love yourself, like your life depended on it. Mm. And it's all about self-love. And it really got me thinking about this idea of like truly loving myself. And, and what got this going for me is I was one of the exercises that it's a really short book. One of the exercises that says is go in the mirror, get really close and like a foot away, look at yourself in the eye, just pick one eye to look at. And for like five minutes, set a timer, 
repeat, I love myself, I love myself, I love myself, I love myself over and over again. And honestly, it's almost comical at the beginning. But then you actually start feeling this. It's just like, I love myself. And you're looking at you and it's such an intimate experience with yourself. Yeah. And it's just, it's wild. I'm not really into that kind of stuff, but it was really powerful. And so now yeah. when I start, when I, when these expectations and these negative thoughts, I feel and all that kind of stuff pop up. I just catch it. I do my best to catch it. It doesn't always happen. I think I love myself no matter what I feel, no matter what expectations, no matter what I do, no matter how bad I fail, no matter what I say, no matter how stupid I look, no matter how, how, how little I work out, whatever. I love me. I love Ryan. I love myself no matter what. And to really believe that, um, is a, it's a work in progress, but it gives me so much confidence, um, in those situations when I'm facing expectations and facing judgments or I've said something stupid or whatever. It's coming back to like, I love myself. And I don't know, like I, that's probably my answer. That is my answer to the question is like dealing with expectations for your mental health and how you should be and, um, what you can or can't do with a mental illness, whatever. It's like, no matter what, no matter what happens here, I love myself and I'm going to just do my best. I'm gonna do my thing, whatever. And I love myself. And yeah, it's, uh, it's powerful. That's really powerful. It. Yeah, I got goosebumps when you were talking about doing that in the mirror. Like, I, I definitely can understand. I've never done that explicitly, but I can understand how how powerful that is. And and when you, yeah, it's like you need to repeat it for five minutes before to, in order to like actually start believing it. Exactly. There was, and the first minute is like, it's like, what am I doing? And yeah. then and then slowly you're like, you feel calm. You feel like things are slowing down. It's just like. Oh my god i've never given myself this like this this love before like i've never you're always in your head right you're thinking yeah. your mind's always judging and criticizing and all these things and to look yourself in the eyes so close and to say that over and over again i've never experienced that before and it was really cool yeah, yeah. one thing i did last summer was like I don't know I was feeling down that I didn't have a girlfriend at the time and because I not because I wanted love but I wanted to show love and then I was like mm. well why why would I do something for someone else that I wouldn't do for myself so I started to write like little like love you on a post-it note and stick it somewhere and then like a week later I'd find it and it would make me smile that's amazing right and it's like it seems ridiculous to people or like desperate or whatever but it's like no why wouldn't I there uh, I did someone shared a quote with me it was like if someone asked you to name everyone you loved how long would it take you to name yourself right and yeah and probably like, the very last realization exactly whereas it should be the first right if you don't love yourself how can you love other people fully i know it's incredible and that and that exercise that practice really gave me a taste of what it feels like to just think about loving myself like I've literally, you know, I'm 24. It took me 24 years to experience that. And well, I feel fortunate. Like, it's, yeah. it's just like, I wish everyone could just do that. You know, it's just, and it's not like, I like every minute of the day, like, I think I love myself. It's, it's not, it's not that like magical, but yeah. just to have that in your back pocket when you're not feeling well or whatever and be like, all right, and remember, you love yourself. I love myself. I love myself. And it's just like, it just takes away the sting, you know, mm. a little bit. Well, and I think, nice. I think, being 24 is a very great age. Like I feel very privileged that I'm only 27 and I have that realization because some people live their whole life without loving themselves, which is, yeah. uh, you know, very unfortunate. 
Yeah, seriously, I know. It's, but if, I don't know if you read that book, but uh, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depended On It. It's an easy read. It's yeah. like 50 pages. It's great. Okay, I'll definitely check it out. Um, I do want to ask a follow-up about this men's group because I've read about some men's groups that some are like secret, some aren't secret, and and it's still like, you know, it's starting to break down the stigma of men talking to each other about emotions and that kind of stuff. I'd love to hear about the experience of it if you're able to share. Yeah, so it's called Everyman, and uh, it's E-V-R-Y-M-A-N, so there's no... uh no second E. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty much just like this kind of global movement that's uh, happened because um, some men got together and they realized that men don't get any opportunities to connect on like a really intimate personal level. Um, and so it's all about bringing men together and like giving them that opportunity to come together, talk about life, talk about stuff that hurts, stuff that's, that's positive, negative, but to create those deeper connections because really there's the stigma around men around just not being like vulnerable really so it's mm-hmm. yeah like vulnerability is really at the core of it so i've been doing it since february there's only a couple of groups right now in canada but they they happen like organically so like you could be like yep i want to start one in you know kw area mm-hmm. and then you have to find like 10 people and then you're the kind of like facilitator and they give you all the resources to organize it and all the talking points for all the sessions and everything oh wow but uh I, I i got in just by chance i reached out to them one of my friends is doing it too and it's really cool like you know most weeks there's like an exercise so you know one week the more powerful ones is like there's 10 of us so we all lined up five and five facing each other and you have like 30 seconds to say one the one line looks at the other line just to one person across from you and says if you really knew me, you'd know that and then whatever you want to say. So yeah. it could be like, you know, you know, I'm really struggling in a relationship or I, I'm absolutely loving my job. I'm really happy right now or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the other person is forced to, after the 30 seconds, repeat back what they heard from their perspective. So it's yeah. just like it, these really vulnerable things. And every night each person has like 10 minutes to just talk everyone sits in a circle we all just listen to the one guy talking they talk about whatever comes to mind you know anything and and the longer the more sessions we've done the deeper the conversations have become and there's just so much benefit from 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 getting these things out you know like guys talking about their marriage and you know me talking about career and all these things and expectations and all that kind of stuff and there's really two great skills that come from it learning how to talk about how you're feeling and be able to listen actively yeah. to people that are t- that are talking and not trying to problem solve it's just listening you know it's, it's mm-hmm. all about listening it's not therapy so it's really cool and they do like retreats every man retreats that anyone can do and th- they happen in canada um although there's not many groups there's the retreats so mm-hmm. it's another good option very cool how, how have you found that that experience has has it changed the way you look at your like more typical male relationships with your other friends. Cause as I've started to develop more deep relationships with a certain male friends, it, it kind of has shown me how shallow some of my other relationships are. And, and it's hard for me to not judge them, I guess as well. Like it. Yeah, totally. It's, I have friends that I can talk about anything with, you know, suicide, you know, whatever. 
Mm. And then I have friends that I literally only chirp with. Yeah. And and uh, and then everywhere in between on the spectrum. But I, for me, it's just like you know what? Some I'm just gonna have different levels of connections with all my friends, and and it doesn't mean that they're better than others um, as a friend. But you know, I'm not gonna go call you know this guy to talk about to vents when I know that we're only really friends like kind of surface level, but we have a good time, but we're, we're not really there yet to have kind of deep life chats about mental health type of thing. Yeah. But it's like, it makes me realize that like some people just don't like, you know, it's, we're all in a room, these guys with every man, we're all in a room and everyone's in different walks of life. I'm the youngest, but there's like older guys and stuff. And you know, we're, and this is all their first time, most of their first time, like, really be able to, like, open up and talk about this kind of stuff. So it's, like, yeah. amazing thinking that, like, the vast majority of men out there don't talk about really anything. And if they do, it's probably not in, they could come out as anger with, like, their partner or it can just make them do bad decisions, like, bad coping mechanisms or, mm-hmm. you know, like, affairs or whatever. I mean, like, bad things happen when you don't get the, the truth out of your system yeah and and that's what and that's the beauty of the whole group but Mm. yeah some friends it's just not it's just not uh some people just don't like it just doesn't come to mind sometimes i'm like do people like do some of my friends even have emotions like on a deeper level like yeah it just blows my mind sometimes yeah and the other thing is some people are just blessed with a calm mind like i have one good friend who seems to just always be fine and and literally like she's just very comfortable with herself and she's always been that way and it's like impressive i guess but then so she doesn't have much to she'll listen when i talk but it's like she doesn't add much because she's just like yeah life is life what are you gonna do right and it's just so different than my the way my head works oh my gosh it's like i wish i almost i don't know if i wish that because there's a lot of things I like about who I am. Yeah. Because we love ourselves. Yeah. But there's definitely, it's just like, hmm, I wonder what that would be like to just be coasting and not be stressed out. Like, yeah. There's definitely benefit from being mentally aware. Like, you know, like, yeah. You may go through more suffering, but you're, you're more aware that you may make better decisions for yourself. I know the intricacies of my brain very well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's interesting, um, you know, I I did a three-week mental health program at North York General Hospital. And in the group therapies, the men were talking quite openly, but we had three men-only sessions. Like, there's three sessions, one per week, where they separate the genders. And we none of the men really talked at all in those ones. So it, it it was, I don't know, quite interesting. I don't know if it was just, yeah, I don't know why, but it was like, apparently... You know, the women's groups, the women's only groups were very powerful, they said, like and 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 they could share so openly and that stuff. And they felt more comfortable when with just women there, whereas when it was just men there, all the men seemed to feel less comfortable. Right. So it's like and I, I mean, I've experienced that in my own relationships. I feel especially now making new friends, I feel much more open making a new female friend than a male friend. It just the. The dyna- I, they seem more loving. They seem more caring, right? Um, mm. I, I can be loving towards them and not worry that it seems weird. So maybe it's all my stuff, but it seems to be reflected in society generally too. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's cool because, like, the, back to the everyman group, like, yeah, you know, the, the men that you were with in that room, like, there's stuff going on, but they don't have, like, that bridge to get them to a place where they're more comfortable, like, where you probably were. Yeah. But, like, this everyman group, that's kind of what it kind of creates is, like, that kind of stepping stone mm-hmm. for men to be, like, really vulnerable and, and open up. But I agree. Like, I could totally see that happening, like, going to a group therapy and breaking up the men and the men and the women and, like there's just no conversation with the men like it's just and you know you know everyone's thinking the same thing and everyone's struggling but people just don't want to talk about it yeah and it's like even the day before everyone was talking in the group therapy right so it's like so interesting to see the difference oh yeah i know i could totally imagine that i want to circle back and ask what other tools do you use in your kind of like day-to-day to uh you know on two levels are there any that you just use for maintenance and then there are are there any that you use for let's call it more like acute issues okay uh maintenance would be good sleep good sleeps yeah yeah i'm really sensitive to sleep Uh, so if i stay up late even like 1 a.m 2 a.m and wake up at 10 i still get like eight nine hours of sleep it's just it's just something something happens so But always, pretty much always had to deal with the consequences of that, mm-hmm. which happened this weekend. <laughs> so sleep is huge. So it's like, if I can be in bed sleeping by like 10, 30, 11, and up at like 7, 30, then I'm normally putting myself in a pretty good spot to feel well. Yeah. Um, so that's good. Um, exercise, like feeling, feeling good, like feeling fit mm-hmm. is really important. Because as soon as I don't feel fit, it just starts playing tricks with my mind and I get stressed out and it can, it can kind of be a trigger for, you know, anxiety and irritability, all that kind of stuff. Cause I just don't feel satisfied with myself. So yeah, fitness. I mean, and these are things that people always say, like, you know, fitness, sleep, whatever, but yeah. it's taken me time to actually realize like how they affect me specifically, like, yeah. and, and where they play a role. So like sleep, um, you know, what time you have to go to bed, what time is good for me to wake up, staying up really late. I've learned that that's consistently bad for me. So how do I, avoid that um one tool that's been really good for maintenance is uh i haven't been drinking alcohol very and nice that, yeah that's alcohol i've realized over the years that it's just an absolute horrible trigger <laughs> yeah for like three to five days i could be like literally pushed to, i've literally been pushed to suicide like break of suicide because i've had like a huge drinking day yeah and then you know, for five days i'm like absolutely depressed can't go to work and it's like you know and i it's just i finally got to the point i was like i am sick of this like it's gonna be hard because drinking is such a big part of my like social circle yeah but i gotta do what's best for me so i haven't well i want to congratulate you yeah yeah i haven't drank since uh almost three months that's i'm very proud (laughs) thank you. you But it's, I have had the best three months mentally I've ever had yeah. like, as long as I can remember. So, so that, that's been a, a big factor, but, um, just mindfulness being present, you know, I, I have a tattoo on my forearm that says, be aware. Mm-hmm. So just constantly just be aware and don't get too caught up in your thoughts and all that kind of stuff. So I think those are big ones. And, and the last one is just kind of constantly being willing to talk about how I'm feeling. So if yeah. like. I'm stressed or I'm depressed, wherever on the spectrum, just being able to be like, 
hey, like, I'm not feeling too well because of this. Or if someone calls me, it's like, oh, man, I'm, like, just stressed out or I'm really not feeling well. I'm really down. You know, those are, like, really great ways to just kind of maintain a good mental state. But if things start slipping, um, things, things start going downhill, it's like, okay. So I, you know, try to be aware. And then I make sure that I'm still doing all those maintenance tools to kind of make sure things don't get too bad. But sometimes it just gets out of control and I'm slipping and I'm slipping fast yeah. like to a bad place. And that's when I got to pull out my, like, my, like my, my, my big toolbox yeah. and try to, and try to navigate the situation the best I can. And it's hard because no situation is the same. There's mm. always different circumstances and uh, you know, I'm in different, I'm in a different place. I'm in a different city with different people, yeah. different time of the day, you know, weekend during the week you know whatever and then i gotta try to figure okay it's so like what what tools can i use here what can i do and really it's just kind of trying to have confidence that if i just keep firing off these different strategies that eventually i'll be able to kind of chill out and get through it mm-hmm. and bounce back so you know if i've really kind of turned into a crisis situation you know it's like okay let's do some slow breathing let's call, call someone talk about how i'm feeling if it's if it's bad enough i'll take some anti-anxiety medication like clonazepam just mm-hmm. to like calm down my brain yeah um you know just just and literally in those crisis situations when you really feel like nothing's working you're firing off all these tools one of the best things that i have learned to do is just take a second and think okay ryan like think ask myself right right now what is something that's going to help me right now like instinctively like listen to my gut yeah and it's different every time sometimes it's go get an ice cream cone Sometimes it's go watch the office. Sometimes it's go play squash on your own in practice. Sometimes it's go for a walk or for a bike ride. And these aren't normally tools that I use all the time, but it's the tool that my body is telling me to use in that, in that specific situation. Yeah. And, and then when I do that, I say, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And I just slowly, you know, keep firing off all these tools and eventually I kind of calm down and, and bounce back. So, you know, you have your maintenance tools, you have your tools that kind of you can use in your situations. And also you have, those tools that you got to kind of try and figure out and navigate in the moment based off your instinct and like what's going to help you in the moment. Mm-hmm. And that's really how I navigate the whole puzzle of my, of my mental health. And it's not easy. I mean, as you know, it's, it's a, it's a mess, but yeah, I think the more times you go through it, you start identifying some patterns and uh, what tools work better when and where and what time, um, and being having that confidence to get through those scary situations where you feel like nothing's working because you've proven to yourself that you've gone through them before, even though they are different, you can still get through this time type of thing. Yeah, that's really good. I I appreciate you uh, sharing all that, and it's it's great to hear that you you know can listen to yourself um, and follow those those your your gut suggestions. Um, yeah. Have you found that? You know, one experience that I had, uh, you know, my my worst depression where I was almost suicidal, like I had to I had to I had to think, would I commit suicide? And I decided I wouldn't, which is still like a shitty place to be in to know uh, and have yeah. to have that conversation with yourself. Um, and so like and I was I wasn't sharing my situation then. But, you know, since I've been public with sharing when I've been in really bad spots and and had suicidal thoughts and that kind of thing. And it's very alarming to other people. And I feel like I was less alarmed because I knew I'd got, get through it. So I felt comfortable to start sharing because I think it's so important. But then it felt like I had to 
take care of these other people now too. I had to take care of my family to not worry about me oh, and like yeah. that kind of stuff. So how, how, you know, you work for CMHA, you're an advocate. How do you find balancing their expectations and, and their worries with, with yourself and not, yeah. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't, I can't, I gotta focus on myself. Yeah. You know? Like they're my support system. They've chosen to be there for me. Um, it's important no matter what, but like, I gotta focus on myself. Like, I have to be selfish in these situations because the reason why they're here is because I'm at risk. So like I gotta, and it's my head, my body. I gotta put myself first and focus on this. And, and to be honest, I don't really, I kind of let the people in my support network communicate, you know, within them, but within themselves to, to support each other because I, Is it you, I you can't support I can't. them supporting you. Right. Like, I mean, I don't know. Like I have to be greedy here. Like I, they're here to help me and I'm going to, do my, I'm going to do my absolute best to treat everyone with respect and love and, and, and care and everything. But like in terms of how they're feeling, like it's hard for me to like provide advice on that because I'm the one they're helping. Like it just doesn't, it's just, uh, I feel like my mom, my sister, my girlfriend, my dad, they talk about me and how they're feeling and what they're worried about and all that kind of stuff. But when they talk to me, they're focused on helping me. Yeah. They're, not, they're, not, they're not talking about, I'm worried about Ryan, I'm, I'm worried about this and all those kind of things. They, they're focused on me and getting me through, you know, whether it's like a, a serious you know, crisis situation or not. Mm-hmm. But within themselves, that's what they talk. Okay, so like what, and they ask me like, Ryan, like what worked well last time? What, what did I say that was good? And I, and I kind of provide feedback. But in terms of support and supporting each other, I think it's important for your support group, support network to do that within themselves. Because mm-hmm. that's just a lot of stress on, on the person who's struggling. It's like, okay, now I have to worry about all these all these people who are supporting me and how they're feeling. So then, if I'm worried about that and I'm and I'm suicidal, what if I don't call them because I'm worried about how they're going to handle it? Yeah. Or that's too much for them. But I need to have confidence that they have my back no matter what. And it's not necessarily my job. I don't think to like. You know, you can make sure you respect them, but like, it's you can't be their therapist. Like, yeah, that's, that's not how I do it. And other people may disagree, but that's not how I do it. Yeah. Well, I, I it's would, too ag- much. I would agree. And it's uh good that they're able to like talk to each other about it and, and support each other as well. Cause you know, my experience has been uh, with most of my family other different and, and I've had to coach them through trying to support me, uh, which mm-hmm. is just, it made it miserable right like it was it was extremely difficult uh and and trying to like they weren't seeming to be like interested in educating themselves to try and help me they were asking me so i was having to educate them about how to help me and like all of and it just made it miserable right like it added layers and and so to any any you know friends listening i would definitely say that you know if you want to help you know, someone like you or me, it, you have to do some work as well. It, it, you can't expect them to walk you through it. Right. And we can give like, Hey, like, you know what? It's probably best not to say this in this way yeah. or to not try like problem solve. I just need kind of someone to listen. And like just a simple tip yeah. like that can 
make a huge difference. Yeah. And I mean, that, that the number one thing is don't try and give them advice, right? Like just listen yeah. to them more, most of the time. And it, cause for me, it was like every piece of advice I ever heard. It's not like I hadn't thought of that. Right. Like I'd, I'd normally thought of the solution. It's a different thing to convince yourself deep down to execute on it. Right. It can take a month. Yeah. It can take a week or whatever, but just like, Oh, why don't you do this? Why didn't you think of that? Oh, thank you. Right. <laughs> it's frustrating. It's like, you know, it's just like, let's just not even focus on that. Like my mom, when I, when I didn't have many tools and I was you know, a couple of years ago, like two years ago, three years ago, and I'd be really worked up at home and like, kind of like, you know, panicking or whatever. And after work, and my mom would be like, Ryan, like, should you go do your, some, should you go do some meditation? And it would just make me like, it would make my blood boil. It's like, yeah, no, like, that's not what I want to do. That's not going to help me. I know when that helps and it's not yeah. going to help me right now. Rather than her being like, Ryan, like, okay, you know, clearly something's going on. What, what can I do to help? Like, what can we do? Like, or what do wanna... you think would help you right now? Right. Yeah, exactly. What do you think will be good? And can I help or whatever? Mm-hmm. And, and empowering you to make the decision on what to do. And that's really the key. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. It's like, you got to give them a little bit of direction, but ultimately, you know, you can't be their therapist. Yeah. I want to shift gears now towards, you know, CMHA and, and stuff more generally, because I'm very interested in society, the state of things. And so I'd love to hear your perspective on how Canada's doing generally, the the stigmas around mental health and like what CMHA is doing to try and combat it. Because I, I personally think society is sick, right? Like I think you know, the mentality, the consciousness of a person tends to reflect the consciousness of society. Um, mm. and, and so that's kind of my basis, but I'd love to hear your initial thoughts. Uh, well, I mean, I guess there's like a lot of things like, first of all, like the stigma is very real and present. Um, what we're trying to do, the stigma around mental health is present, not even all, like including mental illness, it's just mm. mental health. Yeah, and at CMHA we've tried to shift our focus away from from the stat that all mental health organizations say is one in five of us will have mental health mental health issue in our lives or mental illness, and move away from that and say you know five and five of us have mental health. Like every single person in Canada has mental health. Yeah, we all have moods, emotions. We feel, we hurt, we laugh. We have mental health. So trying to shift the focus away from people thinking that mental health is illness. To mental health is just health, just like physical illness and physical mm. health, right? Um, and uh, some of the areas that we focus on in terms of like our research, I'm not the expert on this, but yeah, is um, parity between um, uh, funding for physical health and mental health. Oh, okay. so we just released a big report on that and kind of staying. I, I don't know the exact statistic, but it's like ridiculous how much more funding goes towards. Uh, physical so it's probably health. like a thousand to one at most it's it's yeah, yeah it's like m- maybe like 10 percent, like five to ten percent goes to mental health yeah um so that's a big area um but yeah really our focus is just like getting everyone thinking about mental health not just mental illness mm-hmm. but from my own experience like last summer i spent the summer biking across canada for mental health and i spoke to hundreds of people and you know online and 
you know, in, in, in person, wherever, all over Canada, every single province and all the major cities. And the biggest thing that I took away after having all these encounters was that like Canadians are, are desperate to talk about how we're feeling, mm -hmm. but we're just not given that many opportunities to do it. You know, people want to talk, like people have stuff going on. Every single person has something going on for sure, whether it's mild or severe, but we're just not given the platform to talk. Mm -hmm. And so when I was biking, I had my jersey on, which said Cycling to Canada for Mental Health. And, you know, I'd be in line at Tim Hortons or whatever in the mornings or wherever on the streets biking. People would come up to me and be like, oh, like, so what's going on? And I'd say, well, I'm biking across Canada for Mental Health. I got diagnosed with bipolar, all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden they would kind of get really close and start whispering and be like, well, you know, um, I, have, I have anxiety. I've been struggling with anxiety for a while or, you know, my son took his life or my dad has bipolar or whatever. And, you know, if I wasn't there wearing that jersey, that conversation would have happened. But, you know, there's many situations when people would break down crying in front of me, mm -hmm. you know, and they're just, and, I, and it happened in the middle of the mountains in BC and it happened in a small fishing village in Newfoundland. So yeah. when I, when I talk about this experience, I'm like, if we, if you think that someone was ready to break down and cry about how they're feeling and their mental health in front of me in these and some of the most remote places in Canada. Yeah. Then how many people in the GTA or Southern Ontario are you are do you think are just ready to just, you know, on a you know, flick of a switch, just get it out, talk about how they're feeling? Like yeah. tons and tons and thousands and thousands of people. And what about how many people in my office building right now or my office? You know, like it's just wild to think like that there's so many people out there that aren't given the opportunity to talk and as a result they're suffering more and they're not getting the right help. So it's just, uh, it was a really interesting learning to take away from, you know, mental health as a whole in Canada. Yeah. How do we give these people opportunities to talk? Like, I, I think that is the start is, you know, why does that fisher, fisherman or the person in the fishing village not have someone until a random dude on a bike shows up? Yeah. It's I mean, mental health conversations just aren't happening. I mean, yeah. you know, I go to the fishing village in Newfoundland. Like, when are people talking about how they're feeling? Probably very rarely. Because when I was at the Legion where I met this guy having a beer, um, you know, he saw my jersey and he started talking about it. But I bet 99% of the time when he goes to that Legion, which probably like almost every day, he's talking sports, he's talking just stories and stuff with his buddies. Yeah. Like those deeper conversations just don't happen. And it's like, it's like, how can we make people more comfortable with being vulnerable and, and getting, you know, what's on their mind and what they're feeling out and mm. have people listen and, and feeling comfortable. Like, I don't think, I don't have the answer to that. I think there's a, like a ton of amazing programs and initiatives that are happening, like start getting people to talk, like, you know, Bella's talk, gets a lot of criticism but ultimately it does start conversations so yeah. can't be that can't be that bad mm -hmm. you know and th that's my view on it so like there's and that's just one there's tons of other ones going on but it's a work in progress it, it's something that just won't change overnight yeah but it'll change over time it'll change over generations and that's where i think we just have to be patient yeah so why why do you feel a desire to you know take this on so strongly to bike across canada to work in the field you know 
yeah, I'm interested to know why you've chosen to like pursue this as a profession. Oh, another good question. I think a uh, big part of it is like, I, I, I know I, I felt what it's like to be on my own and in, in, uh, in, in pain and stressed and all those mental health situations like I put in and I know what that's like to be on alone and uneducated and uninformed and unsupported and it sucks. It sucks so much and it's scary and it's just not a nice place to be in. So I don't want people to have to go through that. Like I want people to experience the liberation of being able to talk and become smarter about managing your mental health, like find tools, just a couple tools, have a couple conversations because that's the kind of stuff that changes your life. Like sounds cheesy, but it literally can change the course of your life. If you just start taking some time to address your mental health and be smarter, try like start talking about how you're feeling. And, and I really just want to ha- make sure everyone has the opportunity because I think there's so much potential for people's lives to be healthier and just better overall. If we can just start being smarter and more proactive with our mental health and, you know, it's, it's literally changed my life. I get, I still have lots of bad days, but it's changed my life in, in so many positive ways. And I want other people to experience that. Like it's, you know, CMHA is, is, you know, a big promoter of, you know, mental health, obviously. And there's so many other organizations that are out there doing it. And I'm like, if I can use my, you know, skip, like my, my, my education and business and my experience and, you know, the bike ride and everything to like help people and give them that opportunity that I've, that I've now like pursued, I guess, mm-hmm. in addressing the mental health, then that's going to be the most rewarding thing, you know, I can, I can do. And it's going to make me really happy, you know, sustainably um, by, by doing that and giving people that opportunity. So it's like, it's a no brainer. It's like, I don't, I'm not, as I'm not passionate about anything else on this level. Like, it's yeah. just, I could, I could have this conversation with you every day, you know, yeah. and still be excited about where it's going to go and, and how it could help people and stuff. So just a passion. Like I, I'm like, I couldn't do anything else at this point in my life. It just doesn't make sense. Like yeah. I'm really ignoring such a, such a passion and so much energy that like, if I wasn't doing this, I'd be wasting potential, you know, my, wasting my potential, wasting time. Well, that's, that's really powerful. Uh, and, and to recognize that in yourself as well. So congratulations and thank you. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. Um, is there anything you'd give like general advice to, to me or to anyone listening about, you know, mental health? Um, I think I'll just stick with something simple is like, just if you're going through something, you know, simple or complicated or severe, mild, whatever, and it's bothering you, it's causing you a little bit of pain or discomfort. Just, just talk about it. Like, I don't even care who when, how, or why, just, just message someone, you know, go see a social worker, a therapist, like there's free options out there. Um, if you're at a school or something, or you can get discounted rates, if you go see a therapist, just like one session, just sit down and talk to someone and, and see where it goes, because that's, like the, that's like the first way you can really start seeing progress and get someone's support. And when you talk to one person, it gets a little bit easier to talk to the next person, the next person, all of a sudden you have your support network so that, you know, you know, you start realizing that this issue that you're dealing with is not yours. It's, it's, it's now, it's not just yours anymore. It's now you have other people who are involved with you that want to help you and are going to love you, you know, unconditionally, ideally. 
Mm-hmm. So I was like, take that leap, have a conversation, see where it takes you. Don't get discouraged if someone shuts you down because they're just a bad person and, and keep working because when you build that support system, that's when things start to change. That's when you start building tools and your life starts to improve. Well, I think that's great advice. So thank you for sharing it and thank you for coming on and sharing with me generally. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope we can have more of them. Yeah, that was fantastic. I appreciate it.